Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where together we learn practical ways we can steadily fight our fears with faith, because Christ paid much too high a price for any of us to cower in fear. He wants us to live with boldness, to live lives of impact that radiate God's light, even in our waiting periods, in those times when his voice seems silent or the road ahead seems hidden in fog. Even then, God has great plans for us, plans for our future, absolutely, but also plans for today. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a ministry leader, and I am passionate about helping God's children live in freedom. I would love to connect with you online. You can find me on my website. You can find me on social media. Just Google my name. Fear when fed, it can paralyze us. It can cause us to sort of remain stuck in ourselves and to miss out on the great adventure that God has for us. Or it can lead us into sin and rebellion as we steadily rely increasingly on ourselves, on our wisdom, our abilities, our plans. And for me personally, while waiting, whether that's been for God's direction or for him to answer a particular prayer the way I want him to, of course, I have been tempted to do both, to remain stuck or to kind of push my way forward. And I've withdrawn into complete inactivity. I've become so focused on the unknowns ahead, I became ineffective in the present, but I've also rushed ahead of God and I have regretted it every time. I have landed myself into some pretty big messes, some that took years to climb out of and some that I'm still feeling the effects of today. And I imagine you can say the same. I I don't know many, if any, people who enjoy waiting. And in fact, the very act can create considerable anxiety. Whether we're waiting for God's guidance related to an important decision or some future direction we think he might be leading us in, or maybe we're waiting for a diagnosis for those strange health symptoms, or to solve a problem that's been weighing heavy on us, maybe to see a loved one come to salvation. At each moment, I'm pretty sure we're all waiting for something, something important, something that is challenging our peace. And today we're going to look at how we can respond in our waiting periods, how God wants to grow us through them and ways we can wait well. I already know, looking at all my notes, that we won't have time to cover more than half of what I like. So if this is an area you really struggle with, I encourage you to check out week five of Holy Love's Becoming His Princess Bible Study. It's on waiting well. You'll find that week's video content on Holy Love's YouTube channel under the Becoming His Princess Bible Study playlist. You can download the e-version of the study free from our website at holylove.com. That's W-H-O-L. L-L-Y, holylove.com, or you can purchase the print version for $5. And in it, you'll walk alongside Sarah from Genesis as she struggled through her own incredibly long and incredibly painful waiting period. And hopefully through that, you'll find tools and truths that will help you wait well. I don't like to wait. While I've learned to trust God more, I still like to know what's ahead tomorrow, next year, five years from now. When I first sensed God's call to write, I wasted a lot of time, quote, seeking God's will. Now that sounds like a great thing, right? But it wasn't, and here's why. I already knew what he was calling me to do in that moment, but that wasn't 
good enough. I wanted to know where he was going to lead me tomorrow and a year later and then the year after that. And often when I look back over other periods where I wrestled with similar questions, where I wrestled with waiting, what I was really asking was, will this turn out well? Will God come through for me if I follow him into the unknown now, which often involves some level of sacrifice, will it pay off in the end? Or if I was waiting for something regarding a loved one, will he really take care of them? Will this really work out for them? Well, consider this quote from Francis Chan, author of Forgotten God. He said, I believe part of the desire to know God's will for my life is birthed in fear and results in paralysis. We are scared to make mistakes, so we fret over figuring out God's will. We wonder what living according to his will will actually look and be like, and we are scared to find out. Isn't that a great quote? Is that true for you? It's for sure been true for me, and that's precisely why our waiting periods can build our faith. God uses our waiting to reveal, then address our doubts. Now, those doubts are already there hidden, undetected, deep in our hearts, but they rise to the surface in times of difficulty, in times of divine silence, in times of unanswered prayers. When we don't know what's ahead, we're forced to hold tight to every truth and direction that God has already given us. A while ago, I was in what felt like an uncomfortable waiting period, not knowing when or how God was going to lead. So let me give a little backstory. It took me nearly 20 years to earn my college degree. I know that's quite impressive, right? (laughs) And after two decades of steadily plodding forward, hoping and praying that God actually had something planned for when I finally reached the end. And here I was, I, I could see the end in sight. And I had maybe a month of classes left and several possible directions I thought maybe I could take after. And I wanted to know right then which way God would lead, honestly, because I was afraid that maybe he wouldn't lead, that there was no great plan waiting, that he'd sort of just leave me hanging. And my unknown future, it began to consume my thoughts. And at times it stole my joy for the present. And one afternoon I met a friend for coffee and she always seemed so wise. And I felt certain if I laid out all the possibilities and the pros and cons of each that she would give me clear and sound advice. And plus she loved Jesus. So I felt like if God wasn't speaking to me, then maybe he would speak through her. And you might laugh at that, or at least I would laugh at that if I were you. And yet I think we can all do that, can't we? If God doesn't seem to be answering us, we start asking all of our friends for their advice. And while there's nothing wrong with doing that, the Bible instructs us to seek wise counsel after all. But I have felt convicted more than once with my tendency to seek guidance from everyone else when I should be waiting on God. And many times it's because I doubt that he will guide me or that I'll be able to hear him. And while I might claim my fear of not hearing him, that that's an issue with me, really, I'm doubting God. I'm doubting that he's big enough and faithful enough and capable enough to make his voice heard. And I know he has the power to make his voice heard. He's proven that again and again through scripture and in my life personally. And he's a loving and faithful father who truly wants to guide us. He wants to lead us towards his very best. He wants us to know his will for us even more than we do. But he's not always in as much of a hurry as we are because 
he already knows how everything ends and he's confident in his ability to get us precisely where we need to be when we need to get there. Plus, I'm convinced he's much more concerned with our response now, today, than anything we might or might not do in the future. So that day I shared coffee with my friend. Her words reminded me of this truth. She didn't give me the answers I was seeking. Instead, she just looked at me with a smile and she said, well, what's he saying to you? And I started to say nothing, but that wasn't true. He had been speaking. Every morning when I read my Bible, he spoke quite clearly, in fact, just not in relation to what I was hoping to hear. And so I paused a moment and I considered her question honestly in light of all the passages that I had read that week. And and I said, I'm not sure, I guess, that I would grow in character, that I'd grow in faithfulness, that I would develop perseverance and patience. And I know that probably seems pretty ironic. And to which she replied, well, then that's your answer. Now, telling you about this scenario now, I can see how directly God had spoken to my situation. I wanted to know where he was going to take me and that my uncomfortable waiting period would end, but he wanted me to learn and grow through it. In essence, he was saying, Jennifer, I have you right where I want you. This place of waiting is good, and here's why. Here's how I'm molding you through it. Here is what I'm doing now. I wanted to know what God was going to do in the future, but he wanted me to focus on what he was doing in that moment and what he was asking of me in that moment. Speaking on our desire to know God's will for our life, Francis Jan continues with this quote that I shared earlier. He says, my hope is that instead of searching for, quote, God's will for my life, each of us would learn to seek hard after, quote, the spirits leading in my life today. That's hard, isn't it? That takes faith. Waiting takes faith. It takes courage and trust and surrender. But in the surrender, we find such peace. After that conversation with my friend, though I still had moments where I wanted to leap ahead to snatch a glimpse of what God might have waiting for me around that next bend or or the other side of whatever mountain I was climbing, I learned to rest in the now. And in that, to see God's hand, to see all he was doing in each moment, surrender diffused my anxiety. And it reminded me that God had me. He knows my future. He knows yours as well. And he's promised to perfect all that concerns us. And therefore, we can keep walking step after step, even if all we can see is that very next step, because we know the one who's leading us is faithful. And If we don't know that, if we don't really know that he's faithful, if we're still learning who he is at his core, if we're still learning to trust him, then that's probably the greatest work he's doing in our waiting period. Because like I said before, God uses our waiting period to reveal then address our doubts and areas in our hearts we have yet to relinquish, areas that can either lead us to deeper trust and therefore greater freedom and joy or rebellion and despair. Now, consider the contrast between ancient Israel's first and second kings, Saul and David. We encounter Saul first, and he was a man, he was outwardly handsome, but who harbored an incredibly insecure, selfish, and prideful heart. He acted like he wanted to follow God, but his actions showed that He really wanted to follow himself, especially, we see this especially in how he responded 
to waiting. And when Samuel, God's prophet and therefore spokesman, didn't respond as Saul wanted or as quickly as Saul wanted, Saul did what he felt best. Now, you can read the full story in 1 Samuel chapter 13, but to paraphrase, Saul's son Jonathan had defeated a Philistine outpost, and in response, the Philistines had mobilized a massive army that made Saul's troops appear practically non-existent in comparison. And verse 6 to 7 tells us when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. And some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. And I can understand, I would be quaking with fear as well. He'd only been king for about a year, and a ferocious army was gathering their troops to attack, and Saul's men were scattering. The situation had to feel dire, hopeless. Verse 8 tells us that Saul waited seven days for Samuel to show up, and that had to feel like an eternity, like he and his men could be slaughtered at any moment. And the longer he had to wait, the more certain his destruction probably seemed. And I imagine at least one person in his circle was urging him to act. We all have at least one naysayer, that person who tells us all the reasons we shouldn't wait on God, why we should take matters into our own hands, why we should rely on ourselves and sort of push things forward. In my writing journey, I have encountered plenty of people like that. And for a time, I listened to them. I allowed other people to feed my doubts. And it nearly landed me into a contract that I know with certainty wasn't God's leading. My first publisher took considerable time reviewing my manuscript, something like two years, with pretty much zero communication. And while I sensed in my gut This was the publishing house God wanted me to sign with. Some of my friends weren't so sure. If they were going to sign you, they would have done so by now, they said. And then they went on to tell me about other authors who received contracts from the same company in a much more timely fashion. Oh, the dangers of comparison, of looking around at everyone else when we should be looking up. So anyway, I listened to my friends and I started sending my proposals elsewhere. Now I have to pause and speak to those of you who are aspiring writers. There's nothing wrong with querying multiple agents or publishers. And in fact, most often that's wise unless God directs differently. And in my case, he had. He might not have given me a specific, Jennifer, you shall only contact directive, but he had provided numerous evidences along with the sense of peace that this first publisher that I was communicating with indeed was who he was leading me to. But then time passed, a lot of time passed, and discontentment and impatience grew, stealing my sense of peace, and it became easy to sort of explain all those evidences away. And maybe that's what Saul did as well. Maybe as he waited, he started to think of all the reasons why he shouldn't. Very logical reasons. Reasons Samuel and God surely would understand. After all, circumstances had changed. The nation was under attack. Lives were at stake. And and Saul was the king and therefore responsible for the lives, not just for the men in his army, but the entire nation. Moms, dads, the elderly, children. He had to do something, right? Besides, what if something had 
had happened to Samuel? Or what if Samuel had decided to disobey God and wasn't coming or was taking too long? And so verse 9 tells us, he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Now, that may not seem like such a bad thing. I mean, wasn't he doing a good thing? He was offering a sacrifice to God after all, but Saul went about this the wrong way. He acted in direct disobedience. Verse 13 makes it clear. In his fear, he deliberately disobeyed God. That in and of itself is a big deal because all disobedience is rebellion against Christ. But through his actions, Saul was basically saying that he got to decide how and when he'd come to God. Now, it might be hard for us to understand all the rules and regulations that God set up for the ancient Israelites to follow, but all of them had a clear God-ordained purpose to point everyone, to point us, to point them to Jesus and mankind's need for him. He is our only way to the Father and the only name by which we might be saved. If we want to come to God, we must come to him his way. That door is always open to all of us, but we need to walk through the door God indeed has opened, not the door that we feel would be best. And Saul not only didn't trust God, but when a crisis came, he demonstrated that he had no real desire to obey him either. In short, he loved himself more. And here's what's so sad. Verse 10 tells us, quote, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. If only Saul had waited just a little more, but he didn't. His fear told him his situation was much too urgent for him to wait on God. And and scripture says that he told Samuel, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, although I have to pause here, Samuel had come within the days appointed. He might have come late in the seventh day, but it was still day seven. Anyway, Saul said, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering, to which Samuel replied, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over all Israel, but now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Did you catch that? What happened here, Saul's fear of losing the kingdom, of having the Philistines come over, come and take over, it ultimately cost him the kingdom. Now, had Saul responded differently, had he demonstrated remorse for what he'd done, had he confessed his sin, I have to believe God would have shown him mercy, but Saul didn't do that. Instead, he justified his actions, saying, in essence, hey, I didn't have a choice. I had to do this, but we always, always have a choice to obey or disobey. And Saul chose to disobey. As a result, God raised up another man to take over as king. That man was David, and he handled his fearful moments and his waiting period, which incidentally lasted much longer than seven days with much more trust and faithfulness. And here's how. David turned to God in his fear. 
whereas Saul turned to himself. David reminded himself of truth, of who God was and all God had promised, whereas Saul obsessed on his fear. While waiting for my first writing contract, God offered me that same choice between obedience and disobedience. Now, granted, I wasn't facing a fierce army and the potential death of a nation, but the situation felt something like death to me, the potential death of a dream with no clear alternate direction for me to go in. And and like I said earlier, initially I began doubting many of the assurances that God had provided and I started giving the naysayers around me more voice than I should have. And so I sent out manuscripts to other publishers and one in particular responded really quickly with a contract offer. And so I emailed the first publisher, the one who was still reviewing my work to let them know. And while this is common courtesy in the publishing industry to let any agents or publishers reviewing your work know when you receive an offer, part of me was hoping this was sort of speed things up on their end and entice them to sign with me. Well, that is not what happened. The publisher responded quite kindly, that's wonderful that you've received an offer. Please take it. We're not ready to make a decision. So basically that door was closed, right? I was like, well, there's that, but something didn't sit right in my gut. So I decided to wait and I prayed about the situation. And the next morning, God spoke to my spirit through Psalm chapter one, which says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And and when it says law of the Lord, that means scripture and who meditates on his law day and night. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And when I read that, I knew God was telling me this wasn't my season. In other words, I needed to wait. And that was hard. It was like spending a decade working towards a career, sending out resumes, finally getting a job offer when there were no other job offers on the table, by the way, and sensing God saying, well, no, nope, sorry, that's not for you. But I've learned I'd much rather receive God's blessings than his correction. And so I obeyed reluctantly. But I obeyed nonetheless. And I sent an email to the publishing house who offered the contract and I declined. And and then I sent an email to the first publisher telling them that I had declined the offer. And I felt certain that they would find me flighty, foolish, whatever. And then I closed my computer wondering what in the world God was up to because I certainly couldn't see anything. I've learned, however, not to assume that God's delays are no. I have learned to view his delays as training, as opportunities to seek after his heart more diligently and to deepen my trust. And later, that first publisher contacted me to let me know that they wanted to contract my book. And when they did, I was glad I had heeded God's timing and waited on his direction. And incidentally, his timing was best. Prior, I had been pretty sick. And so this was at a time where I started to get better and and I had found some treatment that was working. And so I was in a much better place to handle all the edits that came. God knew what was ahead 
I didn't. His timing was perfect. And you know, it's still a struggle for me to wait. I still don't like to wait. And I'm still quick like Saul to kind of justify all the reasons I should rush ahead of God. But I'm learning to live in faith, to trust in God's timing and to trust in his heart. And I'm learning not to waste the waiting. And that's so easy to do, isn't it? To just sort of bide our time to coast through life because, well, we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know how long we'll live in this town or maybe be at this church or or be at this job or in this position, whatever. And and so we're we're tempted to just sort of make it through. But that's never God's way. God always has a plan, a way to use us now, even in our waiting period. Jeremiah 29 provides one of my favorite scriptural examples of this. It was written to people who had recently been exiled to Babylon and who therefore were likely grieving and and probably tempted to just sort of bide their time. And they were going to be in Babylon. The nation of Israel was going to be in Babylon for a while. And God wanted to encourage them to live, to thrive right where they were. And so this is what scripture says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. And and I love that introduction. He proclaimed his unfathomable power. He was the Lord of heaven's armies, the powerful God, sovereign over all of his angelic warriors. But he wasn't just the God of heaven's armies. He was also the God of Israel. He was their God who saw them in their pain, who remained with them despite their sin. Build homes, God told them in verse five, and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the fruit they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that they, so that you may have grandchildren, multiply Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. And whenever I read this passage, I always think of the phrase, bloom where you're planted. You're waiting for that prodigal child to come home? While you wait, bloom where you're planted. You're waiting for that job offer. Bloom where you're planted. You're waiting for a diagnosis, for that check to come in, or maybe God to repair a relationship. Those are all hard and important things, things that God cares deeply about. Trust him to do what only God can do. And in the meantime, bloom where you're planted. Use this time to draw near to him, to deepen your trust in him, and to get to know him better. I've shared in earlier episodes about an upheaval period that my family and I went through. It was about a three-year period that was initiated by my husband's unemployment. And during that time, we kind of moved around a bit. And at one period, we were in this small little rent-by-the-month apartment in Texas. And my husband was working. He was working a contract job. We didn't know how long we would be there. We knew it would probably be short. And I was tempted to just kind of get through. But I felt God just calling me to use my time well, to obey there and to be a blessing however I could. And so I got plugged into the local church. I got plugged into the homeschool community. We homeschooled at the time. I started serving. I helped with VBS. And then we were there less than three months. And then we moved to Kansas City. And initially, we were about I don't know if you know the area, but we were on the southern side of Kansas City and we were in this little, again, rent by the month apartment. And we knew for sure we weren't going to be there long because we were heading north and again to a northern part of Kansas City, still Kansas City, but on the north side. And 
again, I was just tempted to just kind of get through, but I sensed God telling me, use this time well. And so I started writing a curriculum I felt him putting on my heart, not knowing, thinking, I don't know what I was going to do with that curriculum. I wasn't connected to any writing community. I wasn't, anyway, so I wrote it. And then on God's leading, I sent an email when I was done. I wrote it during that waiting period. And I sent an email to the educational minister at that church that I had served at for such a short period of time. I felt kind of like an idiot doing that. I'm like, what is he going to think? And so I send him this email and I'm like, hey, I, you know, I've got this curriculum. I'm attaching it. I don't know why, but I felt God calling me to send it to you. Well, about a year later that that church contacted me and they wanted to use that curriculum for their VBS. And then they wanted me to come and speak on their celebrate celebration, like parents night thing. And so during that waiting period, God used his, you know, he led me to be fruitful in that time. And he used that to lead me to my first ever paid speaking engagement. And also just to show me the beauty of his interconnected body that spans across the nation. So use your waiting period. And I know this is probably due to my verbosity, but as always, we didn't have nearly enough time to cover this topic. I don't know what you're waiting on. It could be something relatively small or something that feels really huge. Either way, God sees, he loves you fiercely, and he loves those that you love. He's promised never to leave you, never to forsake you, and to perfect that which concerns you. He will guide you in his way and his time. I doubt he'll show you the full road ahead. At least he's never done that with me, but he will show you that next step precisely when you need to take it. So keep walking where and when God tells you. And when he says, wait, when he says, pull up a comfy chair, grab your Bible and use your time getting to know your savior better. That is always, always time well spent. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe and then you won't miss a single episode. If you haven't listened to any of the past podcasts, I encourage you to do so regardless of the topic. I think you'll find nuggets of truth that that you can really tuck deep into your heart and to help you live in faith. I would be greatly encouraged if you would rate this podcast. That will help others to find it and make sure to share it on social media. And until next time, go in peace and go in faith. And may we all learn how to wait well. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. It's a crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.